Hey listeners, Adam O'Donnell here. Today I interview the co-founder of Bizabo and he shares in the early days, they had optimized their product for the end consumer, but not the buyer. People who go to events really love the product because they could really meet the right people and network more efficiently, but they were not the customer. The event organizers were the customers and for them, we did not solve a big enough of a problem. So they went back to the drawing board and how many founders right now are trying to fight on a battle that they shouldn't be fighting instead of just saying, okay, this is the way that the world works? How do we solve the problem of the event organizer? Solving networking at events for them was always an afterthought. They focused on filling the room, driving value to sponsors and driving pipeline. After doing the research, they realized that the event organizers were underserved in a big way with their legacy solutions. We had like a holy shit moment in terms of, well, that is not working, but we have a much bigger opportunity. So in a way we had to go back to investors and, and tell them, well, have good news and bad news. Bad news, that thing you invested in is not really working, but the good news, good news is that we know what will. Stay tuned to hear more how they handled COVID and continue to pivot the business and have now raised over 194 million dollars incredible success story boom hey welcome to sit down startup founder podcast i'm your host adam o'donnell former founder and vc i now work at zendesk for startups where we offer six months free use of zendesk for qualified high growth companies thank you so much alan for joining us excited to hear your story at bizabo i was actually using the platform last week for uh, an event and it worked smoothly, which is not always something that happens. So really cool to see that. Could you tell us when you founded the company, you and your co-founders and what the company was doing originally? Cause we know it can change. Oh, it can definitely change. And it had changed. I can tell you that. Um, we founded Bizabo at um, 2011. We, we found, we, we launched July, 2012. And the first product we launched, launched was an event networking app. We were one of the pioneers of uh, the event app category at the time. Um, it was just us and maybe two other companies. Now it's kind of like a norm. Every event has an app, but at the time it was definitely not the case. And over the years, um, after a couple of years, we realized that uh, we're just not solving a big enough of a problem. And we just realized there is a much, much bigger opportunity ahead of us. Um, I remember the, the, first, um, the, the first couple of years, I am, I'm Israeli, I moved to New York um, very early on before we had product market fit or before we had real VC funding, um, kind of like moved to New York because I could. I heard there was this co-working space called WeWork. Um, that was ran by an Israeli. <laughs> so I'll go there. <clears throat> That's a story for another time. But um, two years in, after I built a small go-to-market team, two marketers, two salespeople, it was very clear that we're solving a big problem in terms of need. But we got several things wrong. One, we solved the attendee problem. People who go to events really love the product because they could really meet the right people and network more efficiently, but they were not the customer. The event organizers, the marketers who run on these events were the customers. And for them, we did not solve a big enough of a problem. And solving networking at events for them was always an afterthought. Before that, they focused on filling the room, on driving value to sponsors and driving pipeline, et cetera, et cetera. And then we realized that 
it's just not sticky. It's not, it's, it cannot be something big and we're investing our lives into that. So we better work on something big. And during those days, we just realized that the market is really underserved by these legacy solutions that were out there. And suddenly we, we started to realize that uh, we have a much bigger opportunity. So in a way, we had to go back to investors and, and tell them, well, have good news and bad news. Bad news, that thing you invested in is not really working, but the good news, good news is that we know what will. And then we really uh, pivoted Visible from an event app into an all-in-one event success platform and tackling a much, much bigger category and market opportunity. That was 2015. So again, early on. Very cool. How big are you now for anyone who doesn't know? And so Visible, again, the days that I just described, we were probably not more than um, 50 people. We are about 420. Um, and I will say that around 250 people of those 420 joined in the past two years. So there's another very big pivotal moment um, that started in March 2020. I love it. So this this concept of we're not solving a big enough problem. I can relate to that, by the way, as I started two smaller SaaS companies and they, they never had the maximum um, impact and problem. That's a hard thing to realize though, as a founder, could you take us into some of those conversations that you have with your other co-founders around that? Cause that's, that is a humbling thing to realize. Sure. Um, and basically as a company, we went through a lot of ups and downs and pivots and so on. We definitely did not have the, you know, the Slack, Zoom kind of, uh, kind of journey, a lot of resilience and grit where we're needed in the process. Um, to go back in time to those, to those days, so it was me in New York, my two co-founders in our Tel Aviv office, again, me having a small go-to-market team that at some point felt like we're stuck, we're not really growing. Like, yeah, we had like $10,000 um, sales a month and it, we, we didn't see a hockey stick and it's always that tension between, is it us not selling correctly? Or maybe we can do things differently in terms of marketing. Is it supposed to be that difficult? I remember those days we had the gong for like a thousand dollar deal. Um, and we did the math and we're like, that thing is not really gonna, gonna fly. And we had to, um, again, like Houston had a problem. That, that time it was at Tel Aviv, we, ha we have a problem. Um, I don't see how that is gonna scale. We were not even SaaS. We, we had like a weird business model. We, we sold a per, event, um, per event revenue. So it was not recurring, meaning we had to work very, very hard for every revenue too hard. So the math didn't work. And we came to the realization, and as you said, it is uh, very difficult for founders, some, sometimes too difficult to admit that we failed and we really need to start over or do something new. Um, I, I, I think, you know, having a very strong founding team and a partnership that you understand early on that you need one another to put a mirror to, to our face and to have difficult conversations and to understand when it is us or when it is the market or when it is time to react and do that fast. And I, I think, you know, I'm blessed with a very strong founding team that um, we were able to constantly surround ourselves with smart people and kind of like demand a radical candle approach to then um, drive action and, and pivot fast and take everyone with us. 
and, and it obviously worked out well. What were some of the signs that you were looking for when you made the decision to focus on event organizers? What did those early conversations look like with them? There were some very clear signs. Um, one of them was we were selling again an event networking app. In order for it to work, we sold it to the event organizer, but in order for the value to be created, that event organizer had to promote the app to their attendees. And you see when the, the potentially the perceived value is not really there if they're not actually promoting it to their attendees. So they just bought it and oftentimes did not do anything about it or just sent one email. And then you may think, well, you didn't provide them the tools to do so or it was not easy enough. Oh, the answer is they don't care enough about it because they care more about other things. Um, and the only way to get to these conclusions, honestly, is not by looking at data and kind of like be a dashboard founder. Specifically in the early days, it is about just speaking to them a lot, constantly. Um, so one of the reasons I moved to New York is to just be very close to the market and close to our customers. And I just spoke, I, I just called them and asked them and then demanded honesty and um, asked difficult questions. And I received the uh, difficult answers, but uh, those were um, really helped us to pivot. We were one of the first event app companies who pivoted early on and kind of like identified that big opportunity to turn into like a platform. And I'm not sure if you remember, there was a time that there were tons of event app companies, Double Dutch being one raised, it was a Silicon Valley darling, raised like you know, $90 million from top VCs, got sold for pennies, um, and, and they had an amazing product. So we were early to understand because we were very direct we were early to understand that unless we take action, this thing is not going to fly. There will be consolidation and it must be part of a platform in order to create value. And again, because of strong culture and, and decisiveness, um, we evolved into something much bigger. So maybe to your original question, uh, we are now 420 people. We have offices in New York, Tel Aviv, Montreal, London, um, Kiev, which is obviously you know, very complex at the moment. And... Um, we have um, customers from all around the world, companies like Salesforce, Amazon, Bloomberg, Financial Times, TechCrunch, like the top brands of the world are running events um, on top of uh, on top of Visible. Congratulations, very exciting. I, it's, I, I got two more areas that I wanna dive into. The first one is, could you tell us, could you bring us into the boardroom when you were telling your investors that, hey, good news, we think we know we're going bad news. What we've currently invested in is not where we're going. I think a lot of founders have that conversation. Would love to hear more. You know, in, in the early days, you have a big privilege. A privilege. You, um, you know, before you have a product, you just sell a dream. So it's about how you sell a dream. And then in the beginning, you don't really have a lot of data. So it is not uh, about the Excel. It is, again, about you and your willingness to be open, direct, confident, and to show that you just you know what you're doing. And, and I think we had, a, again, an amazing group of uh, early investors that probably invested in us more than the actual promise. Um, 
we had to go back to them several times until we got to where we got today. And I think the fact that they invested in us helped us to bridge those moments. Um, you know, maybe because of our background in the Israeli Air Force, I'm not sure. We, we were able to cope well under stress and, um, and shine under stress. And those were stressful moments. You know, we went out, of, we almost went out of money like many times in the first few years. And I think just us um, communicating directly the situation, our hypothesis for why that is the case and the new strategy, embracing them into the process and, and not, not surprising them, which I think, you know, is, is very important to not surprise them one day. Hey, guess what? Um, we, we don't have money or so I think, you know, keeping them as, as partners um, is another skill that you kind of like master throughout the years, which is definitely not something to, to take for granted. But I think that uh, directness, confidence um, and con conviction probably that we're able to create that we, we got this. That's that's wonderful. And obviously the fact that they continued on and some of the great investors that you have. The next thing I want to double down on is tell us about the first real hockey stick moment that you did have with Bizabo. So Bizabo, the way we describe ourselves now and what we became over the years is um, an event experience operating system. Before March 2020, Bizabo was a, a platform to run in-person events, everything from website creation to registration, event app, networking, and so on and so on. When COVID hit, um, again, we had many amazing customers. We were growing very nicely. And overnight almost, we started getting emails after emails after emails of almost all of our customers telling us either that they want a refund or to put their account on hold and there wasn't anything to talk about because it was not even legal to run events in many, many parts of the world. So we were like, okay, um, well, no one will actually buy software for events in the foreseeable future. So we either do something or the company is going to die. And we were already 150 people, again, growing nicely. We a year after we, we raised a meaningful funding round. Um, and we decided on two actions pretty fast. It was March 6th. Um, one, that we must um, find a way to provide value to our customers. Otherwise, they are going to lose their jobs as event managers, etc. And if they lose their job, we also don't have a business. And two, we, we need to watch our burn rate. Another important lesson to every early stage funder um, that we, we must pay very, very close attention to cash flow. So one we, we had, we were pretty decisive that this thing will take time and we need to extend runway and we parted ways or put on hold or put on temporary leave around 25% of the company. And for a company that is very, very close with an amazing company culture, that was probably the most challenging, difficult moment of our lives. Um, so we did that pretty fast. And the second one is that, well, like people will still need to find a way to reach their prospects, to share content, to, to build a community specifically now, um, to activate the community. 
So what if we kind of like add a video component to our already built platform and we went back in a way in our mindset to early stage startup, like doesn't matter what you do in the company, we kind of like need to be all hands on deck to reinvent ourselves. And within two and a half weeks, you can check that on our blog on March 22nd, I believe 2020, we announced that we're launching a solution for virtual events. Now, now virtual events is like a thing for every marketer. Like you don't, you don't move without having virtual events as part of your marketing program. Just two years ago, it was not a thing. Like some people did virtual events and kind of like second life kind of experience or avatars, et cetera, but it was maybe 1% of all of, all of the events in the world. So we, we bet on it before it was a thing. We kind of like led the movement around virtual events. And we told everyone we laid off that we're going to do everything we can to bring them back. So we launched the solution and three months after, two magical things happened. One, we realized that we had our hot hockey stick moment and we rehired everyone we could. Um, and we also ran our own event because we realized that as founders, one, we, we never ran virtual events. So to sell it, it, you need to really understand it. So we decided to run our own virtual event, although it, it's not something we did. And the first event we did was attracted 6,000 people from, from all around the world, people who were curious about how to do that. And that accelerated that hockey stick even further. So I'll say one, just maybe two tips to create a hockey stick. And the, the first one is, is not a popular one, is to have a strong company culture. It's not about a growth hack or an SEO trick. Startup life are, are challenging and difficult. And if you have a strong culture and you invest in it in day one, it means that when time comes, you can, um, you can lead people and move very, very fast. Some of the legacy platforms out there, it took them six months to go to market to the solution and took us two and a half weeks. And that is a competitive, competitive edge. And the second growth hack is events, actually. Like events specifically now that you have the flexibility and choice to run a virtual or in-person or hybrid, the cost to produce an event went down meaningfully. And you just have a way as a small startup to reach a very big audience. And the cost to run an event is not high. And I now I do recommend every small startup to stop thinking about their event strategy because it is a growth hack. Excellent. And I know you have a book coming out, Event Success, later at the end of March, whenever you're listening to this, listeners, um, it'll, it should be out. Yeah, Event Success. That's true. Thank you. Oh, that's, Alan, that must have been a heck of a time <laughs> to, to have to lay off the, so and I temporarily lay off that much of your company and then just be like, we're all in. And we you had already been operating the company for a long time like eight years and then you're having to like reinvent the you're having to start from zero almost is what it must have felt like it was um very very challenging and the times afterwards were not less challenging um that that hockey stick led to us uh, raising um a mega round from inside partners and then in the following year we, we acquired four companies um and, and our market was disrupted and disruption creates opportunity for innovation. So the times ahead are all very exciting as well. Awesome. Alan, thank you for your time. This has been incredible. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for inviting me. 
That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you want to learn more about Zendesk for Startups and our free offer, please check out our website at zendesk.com startups. 